You can probably tell if you've listened to any previous episode of this show or followed me online for any amount of time that I really value vulnerability and authenticity and honesty. And the people who are closest to me tend to be people who value those things too. And on that wavelength, I'm really excited about today's guest, Vicky Salcedo-Cobb. This is episode 14 of the Medicine Stories podcast, and I'm your host, Amber Magnolia Hill. Vicky gets so real in this episode. Um, she talks about things that we have not talked about yet on this show, things that make me nervous to talk about. Um, it brought up a lot for me thinking about the things that she was sharing, thinking about my own stories around them. And so I guess this will be the part where I say that this is a pretty adult show and I'm going to talk about some things here in the intro that we talk about in the interview. So fair warning, if you got someone around who might not be ready for this content to uh, listen later. Well, I suppose I'll tell you first about Vicky, if you don't already know her. And then I'm going to tell you about the rad things she's giving away on Patreon this month. You're going to love it. So Vicky Salcido Cobb is the proud daughter of Mexican immigrants who is absolutely in love with the garden and natural world. After years of self-destructive habits, you know we talk about that, her life changed in an instant when a clinician offered her a bottle of herbal extract as medicine. Since then, she has been amazed time and again by the powerful ways plants work with our every being. She is currently one of four caretakers of 160 acres of land that is home to various untouched ecosystems and their inhabitants. When she's not gardening, teaching, or writing, she actively participates in an empowered group of local herbalists called the Mendocino County Herb Guild. She and her husband, Russ, also work with the land to create small-scale remedies for their herbal apothecary, La Tierra Buena Collective, formerly Grandmother's Medicine. So in the interview, we talk about names as seeds planted by our parents, the years Vicky was lost to herself with some drugs and tall cans, and how she found herself again with the moon and tall trees. How having big, mystical experiences without proper integration afterward can actually end up causing like more confusion and pain than healing. How nature and the ancestors have always sustained humanity, and why we feel so bereft when we lose connection with them, and how we find ourselves when we rekindle those relationships. <laughs> how this suburban SoCal girl stumbled upon the plant path. She says, herbalism was the way I reclaimed myself. Um, we talk a little bit about the realities of running an herbal products business. It's not as glamorous and certainly not as easy as some people think it is. Uh, we go on a little like random side thing into one weird use for breast milk. <laughs> we talk about dreaming about Walmart and what it means when you have mostly mundane dreams, which most of us do most of the time. And yeah, so then Vicky, we get into the heart of it where she gets really, really real about the evolution of her sexuality, about masturbation, porn, guilt, you know, all the shameful stuff that we don't like to talk about in our culture and how she's learned to just be extremely candid with her husband now as she 
kind of for the first time in her 30s discovers like her authentic sexuality. Uh, we have a funny little thing on 70s versus 90s porn, which I, I've thought about a lot. So it was kind of fun to have that conversation with someone um, who's noticed the same thing. And we talk about why the dominant image and dynamic of women needing to please men and get their approval in order to gain entrance into a sexual relationship is the opposite of reality, like the opposite of biology in most animal species, including most humans, and how it's a really dangerous paradigm that upends nature and hurts girls, women, and boys and men, and everyone in between. And then we talk about Vicky's recent transition from embodying the maiden archetype to the mother archetype without having physically birthed children. So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the conversation about gender dynamics, I just want to, you know, acknowledge that it's very much based on a male-female binary and on just sort of this toxic masculine and passive or performative feminine that we've kind of cultivated in this culture and um oh vicky wanted me to say too that she talks about being addicted to porn but she said she wasn't really addicted to it, it was more just like a, a fixation for a time she didn't want to like downplay people who are actually physically addicted which is a real thing if you don't know there's a really fascinating ted talk about how it rewires the brain just like any other addiction to like opiates or sugar um so patreon vicky is giving away two amazing pdfs and she is giving away two herbal medicines so let's talk about the pdfs the first one is called a year renewed herbs reflections and recipes for springtime uh, in it, she gives information like habitat, properties and actions, medicinal uses, how to harvest, and more on four of my favorite plants, nettle, violet, chickweed, and burdock, which are wild and abundant and are probably growing somewhere near you. And then the second PDF is the red tent. This is a 25-page full-color ebook that includes writings, art, and rituals from many, many different women, including me. Um, this came out like two or three years ago, and I, I was really proud to be a part of it. So I thought I would just read a few of the things that are in there. Um, our friend Erin Rivera Merriman, who has a great podcast called The Starseed Survival Podcast. I've been on it, and I sure hope to have Erin on here at some point. She wrote... In this ebook, we have stopped burning our witches and wisdom keepers, yet we still suppress women's connection to her own body, nature, and the wild with disapproving glances. A great deal of a woman's power lies in her ability to be vulnerable, authentic, and messy. To step into that power, we need only to be courageous and allow ourselves to know what the body knows. It also includes a piece that Vicky wrote about herbs for moon time. And the piece that I wrote is sort of about embracing the darkness. And I'll just read a little bit from that. I say, embrace the darkness. <laughs> Dive into your inner depths, just like I am encouraging you all to do through this podcast. Trust that the feelings that surface during your bleeding time reveal great wisdom about the truth at the center of your being. 
The darkness contains much needed rest, knowing that cannot be accessed in the light and total acceptance of exactly who you are in this moment. Dive into your darkest resources. I mean, recesses. Dive into your darkest recesses and find yourself there. So those are both available to download for Patreon subscribers at the $2 a month level. This is at patreon.com slash medicine stories. I have almost 300 patrons there right now, and it's just making this possible. It really makes this possible. Thank you so much. Most of the money goes into childcare so that I can do this podcast, and I would really like to do it more often. I have so many ideas, so many guests written out and already booked. I'm booked like pretty far in advance usually, um, but I just can't, cannot make it happen more than every other week right now, but I'd really like to do it more often. So hopefully as uh, now 19-month-old Nixie grows and as the um, financial support grows, it'll be easier for her to spend more time with another caregiver and easier for me to spend more time rocking the podcast. Okay, so the giveaway, which is just available to anyone who's supporting on Patreon at any level. You don't have to enter or anything. Just if you're there, your name is in the hat to win. Vicky is giving away two herbal medicines. One is a salve called Sana Sana for aches and pains. And one is a manzanita flower essence for wisdom and confidence. And over at the Patreon, there is a post that will tell you more exactly about these medicines and um, exactly what ingredients are in them. So uh, patreon.com slash medicine stories. And this will end on Beltane, May 1st. Want to give people enough time to enter by becoming a patron if they want to. I know it usually takes me a couple days or a couple weeks to get to listening to new podcasts. So I'm going to give it some extra time there. And okay, before we get into it, I wanted to touch really quickly on something that Vicki says here, and we don't really get into it, but she talks about how having so many Instagram followers um, really freaked her out. And she kind of like just shut it down and stopped posting. And I, I've never had that experience where I get super freaked out by the number of people in my online realm. I really, really appreciate my uh, connections online is so nourishing and beautiful. But what I do get really overwhelmed by, and I've spoken about this a few times on Instagram, in stories, and I know a lot of my audience has heard me say this before, but I also, this podcast has broadened my audience so, so much more than I ever expected. And I'm so grateful for it, but um, there's a lot of new people, and I feel like this is something that needs to be said again, and it's that I I cannot respond to the vast majority of people who reach out to me, and it's not because like I'm so important and so many people want something from me. It's because I have kids, and especially the toddler, and my Mind is already, as I spoke about in episode 11 on mothering without a village, um, my mind is so fractured in so many ways all day already. Oh, see, okay, look, Nixie just woke up. She's crying right now. I'm going to push pause real quick. 
Okay, I'm back. And that so perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about here. So I'm recording this intro in my 11-year-old daughter's room, which is next to the room that Nixie naps in. And it it's like such a mess up here. <laughs> and I had such a hard time even fitting this intro recording in. And I normally record... Um, my interviews and my intros in our next door neighbor's backyard studio space, but they're up right now. They're in town. So I had to find another place to do it. I don't have my own space to do it right now, although we're working on it. So I just have to always with this show, with our uh, herbal medicine making for mythic medicinals, for everything, I'm just trying to like cram my work life into my family life somewhere to, f to make it fit somewhere and it's so hard and it hardly ever does and with with everything that I have to do as far as like taking care of the kids you know and feeding everyone which my husband does a lot does most of um so I'm uh, thank you Owen you are a god um, but just cleaning and keeping everything going and then running the business and making the medicines and packaging them and sending them and then doing this podcast, which I love doing more than anything, um, like responding to to people on the internet is just never, it cannot be my party. It can't, I would never sleep. I would drive myself crazy. And it was really hard to slowly make this transition because, you know, for years I just loved interacting with people online. I loved helping people. If I had something to suggest that would help them, I was so happy to do it always. And um, I do still find time to do that throughout the week. It's just random. I'll say that too. It's random. If like you've ever reached out to me and I didn't respond, that was random. If you reached out to me and I did respond, that was random too. It's like, do I have a free moment right now? Am I nursing the baby looking at my phone and like she's being really chill? So I totally have enough time to one-handedly send this response. Awesome. Um, or... Is she suddenly having a meltdown right when I'm in the middle of responding to someone and I just forget about it and never get back to it? Like, I just, I just want people to know because you guys, especially like that other folder on um, Instagram, I hardly even look at that thing anymore. And when I do, there's like dozens and dozens of new, new things. And I'm like, just so overwhelmed by it. So um, you know, sorry, not sorry. I'm sorry that we're not all living in like the small village type setting like like, like I talked about in that episode 11, um, where we can just really like heart to heart connect with people who share our interests and our values because that's so fun and I love doing that. Um, but I'm also not sorry that I am choosing to prioritize my health and the health of my family over making everyone happy. You know, I just can't do that. Um, on Facebook, it drives me crazy because if I get a message from someone on my Facebook page, the Mythic Medicine page, like I'll get, you know, the um, notification or whatever telling me that I got it. And then Facebook within like the next hour will send me three more emails being like, hey, so-and-so is waiting for you. Hey, did you res respond? Respond. I'm like, well, oh my God, Facebook, like back off, you know, and then how they tell you to when you look at someone's page, 100% response time usually responds within five minutes. I'm like, that's crazy. Mine, I, mine's like 80% response time usually responds within 24 hours or something. But like, I got a message there recently that was just what herbs cure diabetes. I was like, I'm not going to respond to that. Like, 
first of all, none. It's a lifestyle or a genetic thing. Um, second of all, it, it's a super complex answer if you do want to talk about incorporating herbs and not really my area of expertise at all. And thirdly, like, that was rude, you know? It's just not how you, like, ask strangers questions online. But Facebook's like, hey, hey, you got to answer this person or we're going to, uh, you know, bring your response rating down. I'm like, please bring my response rating down. If it deters someone else from sending a message like that, go right ahead. But then yesterday on Facebook, I got someone asking me about books for grief. And like, that's something that's close to my heart. So I was I was happy to respond to her. Um, and now I'm feeling like at least someone out there is going to be like, what, what, what books for grief? So the first one is, um, it's okay that you're not okay by Megan Devine, D-E-V-I-N-E and her whole website, which is refugeingrief.com. I just love her. I love everything she does. She's amazing. The second one is by Martine Prechtel and it's called the smell of rain on dust. Um, grief and praise something those two words are in the title too it's a beautiful beautiful book and then the third is by a guy named francis something it's called like the wild edge of sorrow i think so that's what i answered her that has been enough of a tangent now um i gotta go go be with my baby who just took the world's shortest nap ever because I probably woke her up by recording this up here and that's my life and thank you for listening thank you for listening to my rambles um thank you for supporting me as a mom and someone trying to do a podcast and I think you're really gonna love this conversation with Vicky Salcedo Cobb Hello, Vicki, and welcome to the Medicine Stories podcast. Hi, Amber. It's so fun to be here with you. I am <laughs> so happy you're here. Uh, it's pouring rain here. Is it raining there today? It's not. It's been on and off. Yesterday it rained a little bit, but today it's kind of threatening rain all day, but we're, we're praying for it. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah, it's like a deluge <laughs> here right now. Um, oh, oh. All right, so I'm going to start the way I often start these conversations because you you have a lot to say about this i want to hear about your name and about your names oh yeah i do there's many names out there yeah (laughs) (laughs) um okay so most people and you know most of my life i think all of my life i've been known as vicky um and my actual full name is ana victoria salcido hyphen cobb (laughs) my married name and um, I guess my mo- my mother's name is also is Victoria. And so when I was a little older, I asked her about our names because one of my tias, one of my aunts, her name is also um, Anna, and my mom named her. So I asked her about, you know, she must really like that name, Anna. And it turns out it was one of my mom's, or it is the name of one of my mom's uh, really good friends who lives in San Francisco and is a nun. And so my name has this cool, like, symbolism of being her, my mom's best friend and her name put together, Anna and Victoria. And when I was a little girl, I guess I, everyone used to call me Lil Vicky. A lot of my tias still do. And um, my, my mom told me that I, I kind of, like, 
stole her name because my mom used to also be Vicky. And I was like, I want to be Vicky now. That's my name. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, from as long as I can remember, that's always been what people call me. Um, And I've tried to go, I really love the name Ana Victoria. I think it's really, really beautiful. I always joke that my sisters and I, we all have these like amazing soap opera, like Mexican soap opera names, but we all (laughs) go by like these short versions that are like Vicky and Lily instead of Liliana and you know (laughs) but I really love the name um and I've tried to go by it especially like when I moved to this new town I was like "Ooh, I can be whoever I want to be here um but when I introduce myself as Ana Victoria people usually just start calling me Ana Mm -hmm. and I don't know I think there's something about the pairing of the two names that really feels important to me like I'm either Ana Victoria or I'm Vicky and I'm like I'm not Ana and I'm not Victoria you know, it just feels like it's like one or the other. So I've kind of had, especially in my adult life, the last few years, this sort of like, I don't know, tickle in my back, like one day you're going to be Ana Victoria and it's going to naturally happen and you're going to step into that. And I'm like, all right, that sounds cool. But mm-hmm. it's not it's not quite yet, feels mm-hmm. like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember being confused when we first met too, because we met through Instagram. And when you're just reading someone's name, you know, you're not. Uh, yeah, I thought it was Ana too. Uh-huh. And and it's funny because sometimes I like forget that it says that, uh, like, you know, on my email and stuff like that. People will be like, thank you, Anna. And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, that's my name. <laughs> yeah. I met someone recently. It's funny. I, I'm not thinking of who it is now, but they had just corresponded with you. They were like, oh, I met Anna from Grandmother's Medicine. And I was like, who? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, there's another Grandmother's Medicine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's me. Um, well, and I, I do. I really love the name. I just think it's so beautiful. And and my tia, my aunt, her name is Ana Teresa, and she goes by Tere too, which is interesting, like a shortened version mm-hmm, of her middle name. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 fun to be that. Like I'm my mother's youngest, and I'm named Ana. And then my my mother's youngest sister is also named Ana. So I think it's just a really sweet thing that my mom named us after um, this woman who maybe one day I'll meet. I don't really I don't know her. Yeah, that's interesting. That's like uh, Amy Woodruff in episode six said the same thing that her her middle name Patrice, her mom named her after a woman who Amy never met, mm-hmm. but is still living. Yeah, and I, I mean, I wonder, yeah, and it's like this. I, I don't know, maybe a seed planted by our our mothers. You know, like yeah, something about that woman stuck with them, obviously. And and it'd be fun to. Now I'm inspired to like talk to my mom more about Anna and know her a little more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds like an interesting life. And um, well, it kind of segues us, I guess, into my next question, because you mentioned San Francisco, where she where she lives as a nun. And you had a whole period of your life in San Francisco. Um, and so I, I just want to hear more about what your life looked like at that time. And what was this moment <laughs> when you realized that it had been enough and it was time to change? Oof, yeah. Well, it's funny that I've never, ever thought about it like this, that my namesake, uh, Anna, is in San Francisco as a nun. I don't know if she still is, but that was the last that I heard. And when I was living in San Francisco, I was doing things that would make nuns blush very much so. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, I'm a, like, at least, I don't really know astrology too well, but I'm at least a triple Pisces. So I feel really, really deeply on many, many levels. And I'm also the youngest, so I feel extra deeply. (laughs) There's that little sister thing. And 
somewhere along my mid 20s, I had my first heartbreak and it was completely devastating for me. And I, I, I didn't have really tools to deal with it um, like at all. Like I was raised on Disney. So I was like, this isn't supposed to happen. We're supposed to live happily ever after. What's the deal? So anyway, when this heartbreak happened, I just um, I didn't have any tools. I had no idea how to face it. I had no idea, you know, what it meant. And so I I was working um, retail at the time and I just basically was like, I want a job somewhere that's not here. Everything here reminds me of this relationship and I want out. So if you find something, let me know. And then um, a position opened up in South San Francisco and I got the job and it was like I interviewed Friday and they're like, can you start on Monday? And I was like, no, but I can start on Friday. And it was like my, you know, I'd never left. I've never, never really left San Diego where I was from. So I moved up there um, with this like, you know, bad out of hell thing, like just escaping as quickly as I could. And that really ended up being like the setup for the three years of my life. I I built this story that I was like starting over and like, oh, I'm going to learn who I am and I'm going to do this. But like, you know, reflecting back on it, especially now, I really know that what I was doing up there was just trying to do everything I could to just forget and not deal. Um, and that included uh, swallowing pills and snorting things and smoking things and drinking things and, you know, just doing a lot of things that... Um, I don't know, just it made sense to me at the moment, numbing, I guess. It was just like, it was what what was there for me and what seemed to, to quote, work. Um, and near the end, there was a couple couple things, but near, near the end of my time in San Francisco, it, it basically was like, my body was essentially yelling at me, like, no more, please stop. And I never really had like a, a close connection with my body. It was just a thing that carried me through my my life. I'm very cerebral a lot of times and emotional. And so my body was was unwell in like many, many levels. And um, again, I instead of really not knowing any tools to look at it or having any peers or mentors or whatever, I I started upping my drinking a lot. I was drinking a lot by myself. And it was kind of, you know, drinking is is like this, well, for me, at least, it was just this this steady flow of like, I don't know, like sometimes it would lift me up. Sometimes it would be my way to escape sorrow. It was just like every range of anything except for actually dealing with what was um, going on in my life. And I got to the point where I was like, you know, I was living with um, my cousin, one of my best friends, and I had all these really wonderful friends that were just so supportive and sweet and they were they knew something was wrong with me but I I didn't know how to vocalize anything and you know they'd be there for me and I would just like literally be looking them in the eye when there's like a room of a bunch of my friends that are like how can we help and I'm like nobody's helping me mm-hmm. <laughs> and the reality was like I just I didn't I didn't know how to ask for help I didn't know that I needed help I didn't want to believe that I needed help um, and I remember the specific day where we had a group of friends all together and we had gotten this big fight because I was just like, oh, this is all bullshit and nobody gets it and blah, you know, I was just yelling at everybody. And I, I left and I went to the liquor store and I bought a tall can and I just like found myself in this alleyway, <laughs> semi close to my house. And I, I sat down and was just drinking and just sobbing, like just sobbing, like really realizing I hadn't cried in a long time. And then suddenly I, I look up in between this tiny crack of city you know, these these two really tall buildings in San Francisco and the moon kind of peeked over the horizon and of, of this building. And it was just this moment of like, whoa, like, what what's that? You know, like, it was it was like a 
something that took me out of my sorrow and it took me out of my pity and it took me out of this like um, spiraling sadness that I was in. And, and it wasn't like I saw this light and was like, oh, and everything's better. But it, it was like, it was like a, almost like a, you know, like a grandmother oak or like an abuelita, like smack, like, hey, hey, you know, like, that's enough of that. Something needs to change and it needs to change now. And then because I was in this alleyway, the moon very quickly passed over and then was gone. And I was kind of like dumbfounded. I remember I was like, whoa, and, and the beer didn't taste good, good to me anymore. And I was, I don't know, I didn't know what that meant to me. I didn't know what that was. But I knew that I, um, I guess it was one of the first times I really remember hearing a voice that wasn't like a human voice, you know, a voice outside of my my friends, my family. It was this like deep wisdom that was inviting me or not inviting, kind of demanding me like to, to wake up to the reality of what was, what I was doing to myself and my body. And, um, yeah, I remember I, I stumbled home that day and was kind of in shock and went to bed. And within a few days I was like, I didn't know how to process that. I didn't have any tools. I hadn't been told many stories at all about like mysticism or, um, messages or anything like that. In fact, I'd been a little bit afraid of like ghost stories and spirits, you know? And so I, I didn't have any tools to really process this like really special experience. Um, and so I, I kind of spiraled even deeper <laughs> mm-hmm. and I fell into this darkness and I, and I remember having this like panic attack in my work and I checked into a hospital and was like, I can't breathe. I'm having a panic or like, I'm sick. My heart is like, stopping my heart's not working anymore I'm having a heart attack (laughs) and they're Mm -hmm. like you're having a panic attack and I'm like that's not a thing you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but it it eventually led me to to quit my job and leave my house and just get in a car and drive north Um, I I didn't know why but it was it was one of the first times I really followed an intuition that wasn't escaping but something really bigger than me was telling me like it was time to go and I, and I left and, and I didn't leave very gracefully. I kind of burned a lot of bridges and it wasn't really sweet, but I guess I'll just end it by saying, uh, I ended up having kind of my second, but maybe first most profound experience with nature in that, like, you know, I grew up in the suburbs and a cul-de-sac. So a lot of buildings and we had like parks nearby and stuff, but I never really had like this big wow nature factor, you know, in my life. And I remember, um, I was, crossing over the Oregon, California, or California, Oregon border into Oregon, I was heading to Portland. And I kind of had this, this moment of realization, I had telling been telling myself all these lies as to why I was going to Oregon, but I I definitely had a reason I was going that I didn't want to know to be true. And I remember turning a corner and there was this, just this, like this turnout, basically. And I felt really like I have, I have to physically, I cannot drive anymore, I must turn out immediately. And I, and I turned out and I kind of like walked down this little ravine a little bit. And after, you know, I was just so in my head, like, what am I doing? And then I had this like, again, like kind of the smack, the spiritual smack <laughs> where it was like, look, and I, and I opened my eyes and I looked up and it was just like trees <laughs> as far as the eye could see these elders that are just were standing there and witnessing me and calling me. And I was like in such shock that's something could be so um so supportive and so prevalent and that I could just be blind to it um and I dropped to my knees and I just yelled uh all the things I needed to yell (laughs) 
and all the names I needed to yell and all the forgiveness I needed to forgive and the curses I needed to throw. And I, and I just like expressed all the things that I maybe was stopping my, myself from doing by numbing myself with all these things. And it, it was just like, I mean, I, I must've been there for like an hour, <laughs> I think, or maybe longer, but I was just like, Wah! and then I stopped. I finally felt like done. And I just was like, uh, I felt like myself again. I felt like this haze had been, had been lifted. And I was in absolute and utter shock that like, you know, I'd been looking so long for a, a person, a companion, a somebody to help quote, fix me, um, a doctor, a therapist, a boyfriend, a something, you know, and nature ended up being the, the best listener and the best supporter and the best, um, just guide in that time. And I just like, I don't know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't immediate for me, but I, I know for sure that that was the moment that I committed myself to, to the plants, to nature. <laughs> Pretty special. Yeah, I love hearing this story and knowing more of your background. Um, I'm realizing that I I didn't know any of this about you at all. I guess I sort of (laughs) assumed that you were always this like nature girl, always on the path. You know, you're so deeply (laughs) immersed in herbalism and in gardening. Your knowledge is so vast. And it's um, it reminds me so much of my own life path and what my life looked like in my early 20s, especially just completely lost. Um, and I, I think about how many of us go through this, but we're just so spiritually bereft, so deeply cut off from nature and from our ancestors and from these things that have always sustained humanity. But right now at this point in the West, we, we think our bullshit, we, we give no credence to we give no respect to we don't give our attention our time our reverence to anymore and then we end up abusing substances having severe anxiety on not knowing who we are anymore no and you know it's interesting that you said um this disconnect from ancestry because like i want to just say i had a very loving family i have a very loving family um and I, and I was raised in San Diego in North County, San Diego. And I went to mostly these schools that, you know, the, they were divided into tracks, but the, the people that I hung out with were like these SoCal like surfers and skaters. And I really wanted to be wearing like Roxy and I wanted to be American, you know, quote American, what I thought at the time is like white, you know, I, mm. I believe that that concept of like whiteness is sort of a myth. There's so many cultures involved in that, but now that's what I believe now. But back then it was like, I want to be white. I don't want to be Mexican. I don't want to be, I'm so, I was so like, Oh, I have to go to a quinceanera. Like none of my friends go to quinceaneras. Mm-hmm. Like I have to go to mass in Spanish. Like none of my friends do that. Like, mm-hmm. why can't we have like casserole? Why are we having enchiladas? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like this weird thing where I, I was so disconnected from my culture and my mom is one of 14. We have like a really huge family just on my mom's side. But we're the only family, I mean, we had one other cousin at the time too, but nowadays we're the only family that moved to San Diego. Everybody else lives in Los Angeles. So all my cousins were like intimately involved with like each other. They were going to each other's, ba- you know, first communions and baptisms and quinceañeras and parties and, you know, immersed in Mexican culture with the music. And, you know, my whole my whole family came from Mexico. And so they were really immersed in it. And, and I really wasn't. And it's not like, to the fault of anybody. I, I was also the youngest and I just, I don't know, I just really wanted to be white. There was something about me that really wanted that. So I had no, I had no 
I'm actually, this is really interesting, Amber, because I'm realizing as of yesterday, I literally just yesterday realized, like, I don't really have um, experience with elders. Like, I didn't grow up with my grandmothers. One of my grandmothers uh, lived in Mexico growing up, and one of my other grandmothers lived in LA, and we'd see her every few months. But I never, I didn't really grow up with elders. So I think about these things now, you know, I can reflect on that time in my life and say, like, you know, no real, like, definitely no intimate connection with elders. Um no cultural connection. I mean, not no, but you know, like a, a lack of a strong cultural connection. Of course, I'm going to be lost. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we had this beautiful garden, and you know, my my mom and dad always love nature, but it was just it was just different. It was very like, of course, of course, of course, I had no tools and I had no um, wherewithal to handle or to handle, but to you know, I didn't have these stories. I didn't have. I didn't have that. And that's not to blame anybody. It's just, it's like, oh, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I think about my nieces and nephews a lot and how I'd like to support them and mm -hmm. having tools for the future. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard for everyone in this culture, maybe especially females and maybe especially Southern California females. You know, that's a really hard <laughs> culture to come up in. I've spent a lot of time there, especially yeah. when I was younger. And yeah. Roxy wearing. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, homogenous. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and maybe and not anymore. Like definitely not anymore. And and I also should say I grew up like just east of a beach town. So of you know, it's like a and it's different. Like mm -hmm. I go to San Diego now and it's like, oh, it's like amazing. There's so many there's so much vibrancy and so many people celebrating their culture and uh -huh. events and you know, it's it's really it's shifting, but I think that's that's really like nationally and internationally really like people are starting to to reclaim that in a really good way. Mm -hmm. I like, I remember when you, I think in one of your um, interviews, I think with Mila, you were like, I'm glad that ancestry is a bu buzzword. That's great. Uh -huh. <laughs> I feel the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about people who are like, oh, ancestry is so trendy now. It's like, uh, no, it's just like the most yeah. human thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's interesting that you say that you were kind of cut off from your grandmothers, although you knew them. And then I was, I wanted to ask you at the beginning too, but the name of your of your business is Grandmother's Medicine, which I think is just so beautiful and perfect. And so, like, what what's that? Why is it named that? What's that connection? And then, can you tell me about your maternal grandfather also? Ah, yes. Um, okay, so Grandmother's Medicine originally it started out when I was living in in San Diego with a really dear friend of mine named Dina, and Dina and I were just so obsessed with herbs. We were like, this is amazing yeah <laughs> Dina was a young mother I was just like this is so cool so we would just like hang out and like make things together and she introduced me to like my first ever like Facebook group of herbalists and started like connecting with other people yeah so wait like, I oh, feel like I should have asked you what where how you transitioned from that like roadside in Oregon into herbalism yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I mean, I was like, it's a long story, but it's actually not really. I, I, um, from this roadside in Oregon, I found my way to a friend of a friend's home and, you know, just did whatever I needed to do in Portland. But one of the things that happened was I got really, really sick when I was up there. I had a really bad flu. Um, and I also, right before I left, um, I don't think I've ever gone on record to share this, but it's like, well, duh, Vicky, everybody does at this point. But I, I had just gotten a diagnosis of HPV. 
And uh, so that was a big part of the spiraling of like, nobody's ever going to love me. I'm going to be, I'm, bleh, I'm just so gross. And I had all these like hangups about um, sexuality already that were like really, really, really old. So it was kind of like the beginning of that downward spiral. So I, I got really sick and I went to a clinic um, in Portland and I, I think it was in the Southeast quadrant. I'm like trying to, cause somebody's asked me like, what's it called? The community clinic, I think. And I, um, I went in because I had like a flu um, but then I also shared with the practitioner that I had just gotten an HPV um, diagnosis. And, you know, I shared my fears with her. And she was just incredible. She was so kind and so sweet and supportive. And she she kind of, like, started explaining to me, like, you know, and I told her, I don't want to take any pills. I don't want to do this. Da, 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 da. And I don't know why I didn't want to. Like, I grew up taking pills. Like, it was, you know, it wasn't like I had this, like, I'm anti-pharmaceuticals at all. I just, in that moment, I think, just didn't want anything. Um, and she, she introduced this woman, I should really get her name, but she introduced herbs to me and she started explaining that you can take herbs as herbal medicine. And I was like, what? And she walks away, she comes back and it turns out that this clinic is an integrated health clinic. And she brought me a bottle of tincture. Um, and it was my first ever experience with herbalism. I'm looking at the tincture bottle right now. I brought it because it's totally like my my roots and <laughs> she gave this to me and I it was an ant it's an antibacterial tincture that has echinacea, usnea, mahonia, baptista <laughs> and licorice root. Um, but um so ma mahonia is organ grape root. Organ grape root. and what's baptista? Yeah. Is there I a think common that's name? Wild indigo. Mm. Oh yeah. No, they all just wild indigo. Okay. But oh, this well, I've never noticed this, but it's um October two thousand nine. Mm. So sometime in October two nine vicky's herbalism was born mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but uh, i i walked away from this clinic just totally in awe and she also gave me a list of a couple of stores i could go to in portland that's you know like apothecaries essentially and at the time they were mostly just teas um because there wasn't that many apothecaries and i visited some and and i started reading books and i just i just was like just in 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 awe and i think this you know completely correlates to like this realization i had with the trees of like oh nature has got your back like in a way that no human ever could and i had never really had that realization like i hear a lot of times people have stories about like a special tree or a special rock like i didn't really have that growing up so it's it was like this like oh like yeah nature's got nature's got my back like physiologically mentally spiritually in all these ways um so i just i just I just rocked on with it and I love it. And it's just in our, in our everyday life now. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then, oh, and then you asked me about my grandpa, my abuelito secundino, my tata, he um, is living in Mexico. My, my mom and her family, they're all from El Valle de Guadalupe, which is in Jalisco. And it's a small ranch town. Um, and he is the father of 14 children my grandmother, the mother of 14 children. And um, he is a healer. Um, not so much anymore. My, my grandpa is actually almost, um, he's losing his vision and he has macular degeneration. And um, I remember when I was little, like, cause he used to live in Los Angeles with my grandma and some of my tias. And I remember when I was little that people would come over like limping. Um, so he's what in, in the Kuranda, or like the Mexican culture, you'd call a sobador, which is basically a body worker. Um, I just found out that he actually, I think, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I just found out that he might have also been a huesero, which is like a chiropractor kind of. Um, but, but I remember people coming over 
like it'd be Thanksgiving or, you know, someday we'd be, be at my grandparents' house and people would be coming over and they'd be like limping. Um, they would need support on both sides, carrying them to um, this bench that he had or this, it was, it was like a, a mantle, I guess. It was like in front of the fireplace that was always full of boxes. Like nobody actually used it, but had this blue cushion and people would lay on it. And oh my gosh, I just remember these like agonizing screams of pain, you know? <laughs> and I was like, what's my grandpa doing to that person? Um, and it was just this thing, like, you know, people would be screaming and like, it's so funny when you get it like, un, un sobada, like people think like, oh, massage in the West is so relaxing. But like a lot of times when you get like a good work from a sobador, it's like, you know, it, it, it hurts sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's putting you back into place basically. And and I, as a young girl, remember people walking in, needing support on both sides, screaming and writhing in pain. <laughs> I never actually watched, I don't think. Um, and then walking out the door without any uh, need for help or support. Mm. So he is a healer. Um, and that that never really struck me. Like, wow, that's amazing. Until um, I went to Mexico uh, maybe five or six years ago for the first time ever where my mom uh, grew up. I got to see the house, you know, she grew up in and the ranch that my grandpa owns. And, and a little boy came over and he had a, um, like a bad ankle. He was limping really bad. And he was really young. He was maybe like one and a half years old. And I actually got this on tape secretly, a video, <laughs> but my grandpa was just talking to him and, you know, working his ankle and asking him where it hurt and kind of really gently massaging it and moving it around and just kind of doing his thing. And then uh, this little boy just walked out the door, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just totally fine. And the last time we went to Mexico last year, I finally started asking my grandpa about herbs. He has he has like a stash of herbs on top of his refrigerator, which is hilarious because like all modern herbalists are like, never keep herbs high. It's they'll spoil with the heat, you know, and you look at these herbs and a lot of them are like super brown and all this <laughs> stuff. But but he has these herbs and he uses them and he, and he was trying to share some. And, and I was like amazed that actually some of these herbs that he uses are a lot of the herbs that are all around Russ, my husband Russ's childhood home um, that he uses for joint pain or, you know, but I, I just am barely kind of scratching the surface of understanding that my, my grandfather is also a healer and an herbalist. You know? Wow. So there is a connection in that lineage. Yeah. How exciting to have all that discovery ahead of you. Yeah, yeah that is exciting. So how about uh, the name Grandmother's Herbalism? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So Dina and I, my good friend Dina and I were, um, I think we were like texting back and forth. And it was this total like, this is so funny, because this is like, I was just thinking about this with the first day of spring just that just passed where sometimes it's it's become like a thing where herbalists are like, okay, well, there's like an equinox discount now. And, you know, it, it's like, this like thing that we have to announce things on equinoxes or full moons or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I remember it was like a Pisces full moon was coming up and we had to announce it on the Pisces full moon. It was so important because then if we didn't, we'd have to wait till the next full moon. Right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, and at the, at the time it was like, Oh, it was so important. So we were like texting back and forth all these names and it was like grandmother's wisdom, grandmother da da da. And it wasn't always grandmother's, but it was all these words. And then somehow I think it was Dina it like grandmother's medicine and we both were just like yeah that sounds fantastic let's go with that because that's what we felt it's like this stuff isn't new this isn't some some like newfangled knowledge you know this is stuff that's been carried for a really long time and it's really funny because I've had an interesting relationship with this name like I it's interesting hearing you like I love it it's perfect because I've always felt like 
it was slightly like a rushed name. I've always felt a little slightly divorced from the name because like I didn't have grandmothers that like taught me herbalism, but but then I would have these moments where I'd be talking to the trees about it and the trees are like, Psh, we're your grandmothers and we're teaching you herbalism. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but yeah, there's, there's, and then I even was like advised by my lawyer friend, like, oh, I don't know the word medicine, you know, talking about all the legal stuff that's happening right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and it's really funny that you're like, this is perfect because we're actually putting grandmother's medicine to bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and and we can talk about that if you want or yeah yeah are you gonna keep are you gonna keep releasing medicines but under a different name um I think so so a while back I I had this sort of habit of like having these like oh no I'm like I have a lot of stage fright I guess I should say um in in various forms and this sounds really silly because people are like uh when I tell people this they're like that's like a really good thing I'm like okay the fact that I I gained this somehow this like big following on social media um last year I it freaked me out it like really really freaked me out I felt like I didn't have uh the right I didn't have um it just felt it freaked me out it freaked me out so I kind of fell off the radar and I what was the account for grandmother's medicine I had this long held vision for a collective for a really long time. And I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know. I don't know. I just like, I want, I love working with people like um, main, mainly because everyone has this like amazing creative brilliance, but also because I get um, burnt out, like for real, I get really burnt out. I get really stressed. I get, I feel a lot of pressure when it's all just me. Um, So I know like for my wellness, I needed to partner more. So I had this vision for a collective and, was trying to plant seeds. And one day I I was laying in bed and I was just like asking the gods, goddess, like, what, what is this? And um, right before I fell asleep, I heard this little whisper and it was La Tierra Buena Collective, which means the good earth collective. And part of this prayer that I was asking for was, I love herbalism. I also love gardening. I also love soil and vegetables and fruit and mycelium. And I love um, restoration work and I love cob building natural, you know, like more things than just this category. And I felt like grandmother's medicine was so, um, limiting, I suppose, to this like herbal world. Um, I also am like a little bit of, sometimes I have this little punk rock nature of like, I don't want to just be this herbalist. I want to be lots of things, you know? (laughs) Um, but La Tierra Buena Collective came back to me. I, I changed this like social media world, and then just disappeared, just kind of fell off the face of social media and started like another grandmother's medicine account, <laughs> like mm-hmm. disappeared, like not knowing really what I was doing. I was like, oh, God. Um, and then about two weeks ago, again, before I fell asleep, I kind of got this whisper that it was time to bring it back. Um, and and anybody who knows me knows that in the last two to four months, I've really taken many, many steps to reclaim my ancestry, to connect to it again, listen to the music and eat the food and speak the language. Um, And La Tierra Buena, the good earth, really represents many aspects of that for me. It's in my tongue. It's um, all encompassing of what I consider to be my spiritual practice, which is the good earth, all the earth. Um, And it's a collective eventually. <laughs> it's a prayer for a collective, I should say. Um, so yeah, grandmother's medicine, it, it feels, it never really felt like mine. You know, it never really felt 
um, it, it felt like it always was something that was going to be composted. And I, and I kind of like it, I've talked about this with a few people a lot of times, like, I don't want to get rid of, I want to lay it to bed, you know, but I never felt right. And I'm, and I'm this, I just did a little product launch of grandmother's medicine with some products that I made for the first time in like months. And this is going to be the last of that launch under that name. But, um, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make herbal remedies to answer your other question. I love, love, love making herbal remedies. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. Sometimes I don't fit into like the world of herbal remedies. I really want to work more towards, um, education and, uh, eventually being like a bilingual clinician is my big, big dream. Mm. Yeah. I mean, as, as we've been talking about in, uh, the Facebook group, herbal medicine business owners and more and more people are talking about, it's, it's really like an unsustainable model, um, to be mass producing herbal yeah. medicines. And I think so many of us, her heart is really in teaching people to make their own and more so teaching people to have their own relationships and connections with the plants and with the earth around yes. them. Because there's also this whole like, I'm both my parents are from Mexico and I'm a trained Western herbalist, Western European herbalist, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, that's another aspect of it, of like what's growing around you. Like I've always, when I moved up to where I'm living now, it was like, oh my gosh, like there's herbs everywhere here. I don't actually need to buy herbs from these large companies. Um, I can make remedies from our gardens and from the wild. And that was really like eye opening to me of like, oh, what about everybody else? You know, like what about just teaching the basic concepts and then encouraging relationships to your local um, biosphere, your local ecosystem, your local world? Um, so, yeah, like the the unsustainability of the model for many things, like the actual like, you know, fossil fuel and water usage that I'm always like that guy, like, Hey, you know, like talking about of like shipping and labels and production, mm -hmm. um, the unsustainable potential of the harvesting, the over harvesting and, and also the reality of like, you can make like a quart of herbal oil for like 40 bucks. And because of all my expenses on my side, I have to sell four ounces for 40 bucks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so it's always felt like this is such an interesting thing because to me it was so herbalism was so empowering. It was the way that I reclaimed myself um, on many levels, like my, my physical health, my emotional health, my mental balance. It was really a way that I was able to reclaim myself. So kind of like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I'm the one that carries the remedies and you have to buy them from me, you know, <laughs> and that feels, real, it feels a little weird to me. And of course, there's always going to be space for healers and like, you know, localizing and, and there's, that's, that's every single community has always had that, right? Like the, the local healer. That's like my, that's my grandfather. People come to him to be healed. Not, not so much anymore, but they used to. And if they paid him, they paid him. And if they didn't, they didn't. It wasn't like, okay, come to my store and buy these things so you can be well. It was like, here are these things. I'm a healer. We don't charge for this. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another interesting dynamic I've been thinking a lot about. Yeah. Um, I love, I love that you, that you talk about all these things and really have been focused on like sustainability and medicine making for a long time. Um, okay. <clears throat> I'm just getting over a little cold. Sorry about the coughing. Oh. Yeah, it's been it's, good. it's been rough having a, a baby sick and then being sick too. 
Oh, Nixie got sick. Yeah, she got it first. Poor thing. <laughs> it's been tragic. I always feel so bad when they're sick babies. Yeah, it's like all you could do is like hug them and love them and like I mean tend to them obviously, but like I just I love you. Please yes. get better. <laughs> yeah. There was a whole day where she couldn't nurse at all because her nose was so stuffed up. So she's like not able to nurse and get that comfort. And I'm like, this milk is medicine. I wish you could drink it. <laughs> Just like squirt it all over her. No. <laughs> Is that how it works? I don't know. I'm not a mom. <laughs> yeah, I could. I could. Um, I definitely, you can like squirt it up their nose to um, kind of break up the mucus. You know, I think I did that with my oldest. Oh. Um, okay. So. It really is. <laughs> Let, I want to shift gears a little bit. There's so much that we could talk about. But, okay, you said the funniest thing. First of all, you're one of the funniest people I know. You make me laugh all the time. You laugh all the time. Listen to, <laughs> listen to you now. You are always oh, laughing, and it's so – I'm just, day. like, happy whenever I'm with you. Oh, that's so nice. That's so nice to hear. The other day I did an interview with my at the local radio station. We were talking about the Mendocino County Herb Guild and she was like doing the audio levels and she's like, okay, everything sounds good. And she made a joke and I laughed. She's like, whoa, okay, we got to adjust some of that belly laughter. I was like, oh, sorry. I just won't laugh. She's like, no, please laugh. Yeah. I mean, so many herbalists can at least appear super self-serious, you know, and like you don't even appear that way. You're just always lighthearted and fun. And I, I just appreciate it so much. So you wrote something um, that made me laugh so hard when we were preparing for this interview. So I was asking about dreams. And you said, oh, yeah. okay, this is, so this is your husband. Your husband is named Russ, and you said, Russ would wake up and tell me a fantastical, lucid journey he took with eagles and futuristic landscapes and mountains, and I'd be like, I dreamt I was in the self-checkout at Walmart, and it wasn't working, and I was so frustrated, and no one would help me. <laughs> this happens, like, multiple times. Yeah. And, like, I would, I, <laughs> I would find myself, like, like, uh, uh, like, before we wake up, you know, like, okay, did I have a really cool dream? Because I know Russ is going to tell me this, like, amazing, he was, like, riding on the back of a griffin or something. And I was like, oh, like, I was at the DMV. And it was really frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I love that. Because first of all, that me too, like, most of my dreams are stupid like that. And a lot of them like revolve around clothes and not being able to find the right outfit to wear or not being able to like Buddy. nail my outfit in time for something that's really important. Or last week I had one where I was out of my control, moving in slow motion, trying to get dressed and being like, I'm not going to make oh. it to this event. And <laughs> um, Amy Woodruff said the same thing. I don't know if she said it in our interview or before to me or in writing or something that, you know, her partner, Augustine is like, I was on a crystal in hyperspace. And she's like, I, I have like high school social anxiety dreams. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I have a lot of those too. I have a lot of those too. <laughs> yeah. And then it's just so funny. And it's, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say just the night before I read you saying this, I was reading Robert Moss's book, Conscious Dreaming, and he has these insane dreams like Russ's and Augustine's that um, were really developed, he thinks, by having double pneumonia, I think like 11 times before he was 10 years oh. old. So he had this crazy feverish, like out of body childhood. And he's this really intense dreamer now and writes these amazing dream books. But he has this whole thing. And like, most dreams are mundane, like most life is mundane. You know, So of course, our dreams are going to reflect yeah. that and like there's nothing wrong with you if you're not having these hyperdimensional dreams 
Oh, thank goodness. That's good to hear. <laughs> no, you know what's funny? It's like, I remember hearing you're like, I won't talk about boring dreams. I'm like, well, well I'm out of that one then. <laughs> But then, so then I started thinking because of, because of that question, you're like talking about the dreams. And I started thinking about like how much of life has so much meaning in these like really mundane moments, you know, like if you really wanted to carve something out of uh, like, you know, standing in line at the self-checkout and being frustrated, you, you really can like, okay, what is the root of this? It might just be, you know, your psyche explaining that you're frustrated today or something. But um, I also have been having a lot of fun challenging myself with like, this isn't a boring dream. What is this dream trying to tell me? Mm-hmm. I would say like 80% of the time, it's like nothing. It was a boring dream. But <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. I can find a little meaning out of it. <laughs> yeah, it came from your mind. Like there's something there that's reflective yeah. of you. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> I made it. I made it to the dream conversation. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, when, when I look back to like the big dreams that have guided my life, there's three of them. You know, so like 99.9% of my dreams are stupid and boring and (laughs) embarrassing and weird. And then there's been like three big ones. I have. Yeah. And I have a a lot of dreams, I think, that are like I would consider like, oh, that's so weird. Or what what is that dream? Why is that? Why? You know what? Lately, especially and I'm doing a lot of work with like I have very little memory of my life, (laughs) my childhood. And that could have been from substances I snorted up my nose but it could have also been blockages you know um purposeful or otherwise and I you know trauma's blocked out and I um I've been doing a lot of work of like asking people like stories about me or like what what's the music we used to listen to together and like listening to these albums again and looking at old pictures and um, I'm trying to like call back these memories. I mean, I'm I'm open to them coming back. So I've been having all these dreams lately about people that I just I have not thought about in you know a decade or more, and it's been really interesting. Like who is showing up again mm. in my dreams? Like every now and again, and I you know I don't really know. I'm like, why are you there? But I'll I'll write it down. Like this person was in my dream, and maybe I'll remember why. Like maybe there's a memory or a moment that's significant, and that specific person is coming back to me. Yeah. So, so, so I have some cool dreams. I totally have some cool dreams. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's like visitations and dreams are a pretty big deal, especially when it's someone you haven't seen or thought about in a long time. Oh, yeah. They've been showing up. They're like, hey. Remember me? Um, yeah. <laughs> you, so you, I just, I love how vulnerable you've been through this conversation. Like, I just think you've shown a lot more of like the hard stuff, you know, than a lot of people are comfortable with. And um, so you wrote this whole thing when we were preparing about like the evolution of your sexuality. And I was thinking like, that's not something we've talked about at all on this show yet. And that is such a part of all of our lives. And I just related yeah. with so much of what you had to say. Um, so oh, yeah, interesting. Are, are you willing to talk? Uh, obviously you are. So <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've always been like this, like open book in some sense. But then, I, yeah, and then I said, like, I get all pressured. And I'm like, ah, and I must retreat. But I was like the type of like young female that was like, or young person that was like on like live journal. I don't know if anybody remembers the oh, live yeah. journal, you yeah. know, these like, essentially, they were like online journals. And I would just like, share all the feelings online. I wouldn't really share like specific stories of myself. But um, I, or I would like, 
leave my diary out a lot. Like, Ooh, I hope somebody reads this. Like it was, I don't know why. Like I just, I find it so interesting to like share the most intimate parts of myself. And sometimes it gets me in trouble. People are like, you don't need to share that. And I'm like, but why? It's so interesting to me. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, um, especially lately as I'm doing this, this work of like trying to reclaim myself and who I am as a person and, and working through this like personal stuff of like, you know, having this like social media following is like, it's, it's easy to turn yourself into like a brand or like a persona. And so I've been like really challenging myself to be a person all the time as much as possible. And like been doing a lot of speaking for like the guild and it's like, Oh, I'm like a representative, but it's like, so I've been really trying to challenge myself. And I think, uh, your, the timing of this interview worked out really well because I don't know that I would have been so raw um, a few months ago when you first asked me. But um, yeah, so that's just like a little segue into uh, what I'm trying to say is like it's it's possible. Like uh, I don't know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, and you but, said um, you said no when I first what? asked you because you were like I'm I'm in uh-huh. something right now and I need some time to figure yeah. out what I'm in. <laughs> Yeah. And you're so awesome. Cause you're like, that's fine. Whenever you're ready, girl. And I mean, it took me like months to be like, okay, I'm ready. I feel, I feel ready because I, I, I have been in something, but I very recently feel like my, my voice has come back to me, um, in like a good authentic way where I'm not just like, blah, you know, <laughs> making things up and speaking in circles, which I'm pretty good at sometimes. Um, but sec- in terms of the sexuality aspect of my life or aspects or whatever, um, let me see how I want to kind of approach this. Um, yeah, so I grew up as a Mexican Catholic little girl. I did, you know, baptism, communion and all these things. And, um, there's probably a lot of people out there who have strong, uh, Catholic guilt. <laughs> it's just in there. You're trained from a little, as a little kid that, you know, you've done, you're inherently sinful you've done things wrong, especially if you're a woman, you're the reason we've all fallen because you just couldn't get your hand off that apple. Right. <laughs> um, but there is this like inherent sin. And I, and I just to like illustrate this point and how deeply this runs in me. I, um, I remember before you get your, your first communion, your primero comunión, you have to do, um, a confession. That's like a required part of, um, the sacrament and they talk to us about what a confession in Sunday school. They talked to us about what a confession is and what it means. And I, <laughs> I was a really good little girl. Like I was a very, very good little girl. My number one priority was like to have fun and to be good. Like I didn't want to stir the pot like at all. And I, I remember the night before my confession, I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep very much because I was trying so hard to rack my brain for the things that I had done that were wrong so I could have something to confess because I was supposed to confess because I'm inherently sinful and I need to be blessed and I need to have some man behind a screen tell me like, it's okay, God still loves you. Mm-hmm. So so that was like so deeply rooted in my consciousness and so much so that sex was not a thing. Like I, um, I'm one of four girls and, and, you know, my dad is like our best friend. He's so sweet and lovely, loving and fun. And, um, my mom is just amazing. And, and we just didn't talk about sex. Like it just was never, ever a thing that we talked about. And, um, I, I don't know, like, I think the only thing I knew about sex was that you do it to have children when you're married. You know, like it was one of these things, like certainly had no concept of sex as pleasure at all. Um, and so, 
I, I, all, I do remember as a young girl being, um, aroused a lot, like, you know, like liking the way it felt to touch myself. Um, I remember getting caught, like touching myself and, and it was like, ew, you know, somebody told me I was gross. Um, I remember another time I was touching myself probably absentmindedly in, in the car. I like had this clear memory when I was doing a psychotherapy session, um, with Rhiannon and Morsh and, I was like, whoa, I had totally forgotten this memory where I had my hand, you know, I was touching myself and somebody was sitting in the front seat, turned around and happened to see me and smacked my hand and was like, like essentially said like, that's bad. You don't do that. And I was like, oh, okay. And I'm like seven years old, maybe six. I don't know. And, um, I think seven. And then somewhere along the line, um, a young man in my life was all, he was only about two years older than me. We were both really young. He also was sexually active and curious, and we essentially started playing doctor. <laughs> and it was cool, and I, you know, I liked it. It was fun. It was like, oh, and we never went too far, but it was like definitely this, like, oh, this this actually does feel good, and it was create. It was, it was fun. Like it, it was pleasurable. It felt good, and um, we got caught one time. Or actually, I don't even think we got caught like quote in the act, but somebody in my in my family pulled me aside and said, I know what you're doing. It's wrong and it's bad. And, and they were a peer of mine. Um, it's wrong and it's bad and you're gross. You know, I heard the word cochina a lot, which in Spanish kind of means like filthy, like little piggy, like bad. Um, so I, I actually feel like every time <laughs> I got caught in some sort of like pleasuring myself sexually as a young child, I heard the word cochina. So I like instantly connected like sexuality and pleasure with like naughtiness, bad, gross. Um, and so when I was told by this person in my family that that was bad and I know what you're doing, I suddenly got this, um, oh, this is wrong. Like I, I, this isn't pleasurable. I'm not supposed to be doing this. This is bad. And so then I, um, I told this boy that I didn't want to be doing this anymore. And then he called me cochina and he told me that if I didn't do this, that he was going to tell my grandmother, he was going to tell my mom. So it went from this, um, consent based pleasure, fun thing with kids to this like threatening abuse. Um, and then, so we did another act and I, Cry. I remember I, I remember crying and saying these things that like no little girl should have to say. And then at the end of that, no little person, I should say, should have to say. And at the end of that, I stood up for myself and I made sure that I was never alone with this boy again. And he never forced me to do anything after that. It was like that one time. But that's all it really took for me. <laughs> um, because from then on out, sex and pleasure became gross, bad, forced, unpleasant. Um, you know, all of these things that were just dark. And so I shut myself completely out, out from sexuality as a little girl. And in, you know, through middle school, I remember a friend of mine did, um, uh, did a naughty deed with a boy she liked. And I was like, I don't even know you anymore. I, you don't have any <laughs> self-respect. And I like cut her out of my life because she was so bad. Um, you know, I was very self-righteous and I was very like, that's bad. You only do that with the approval of God when you're married. And it was just this whole like persona I built up around myself. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, like later on in middle school, I was like watching scrambled porn, you know, like, like and into it. And I was like 13 years old and I'd be like on channel 99 and like, Oh, that's interesting. 
Um, but then we, we went into high school and high school is a totally different time. And, you know, like I had my first boyfriend and like, it was, it was just a shifting thing. And I started, I mostly hung out with a lot of guys. Like I get along with guys a lot. And I remember this one time we were at our friend's house and it was a party and he or somebody like put porn pornography on the computer. And it was like this totally weird, like 16 year old boy thing to do. But then we all were like really into it, (laughs) but it wasn't like we were like getting off on it. We like all went to the computer and we were like doing like commentary and like laughing about it and drinking and whatever. But something in that moment was like, ding, ding, ding. Oh, like this, actually, this is turning me on. This does feel good. Uh, I'm not going to like express it here in this moment, but that's really interesting that this exists like in the internet and in the world. And I, I kind of, you know, I went home and this is the time of like dial up and like, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the computer is like, in the room next to your parents' room. And, you know, it's like a totally different time than it is now. And, and I remember I would like sneak into the computer room and start looking up pornography. And I started masturbating to these, to these scenes. And I don't know, I have this theory that like 90s pornography and modern pornography is just like destroy. It's like so awful. It's It's, like so awful. That's a general statement. No, 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 it's terrible. It's It's so scary raising girls right now. I I tell my 11 year old, like the boys that you meet in the future this is going to be what they think sex is. Yeah. Well, and this, this is exactly what I thought sex was. This was my only ever training in what sex was. Nobody talked to me about sex. Nobody talked to me about um, consent or pleasure or anything like that. So, you know, like in most in this like 90s and modern pornography, it's all about getting the guy off. And I was very like, oh, like taking notes, not literally, but you know, I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be so turned on by getting this performance base. There you go. Mm -hmm. And um, thank you. I was about to get really graphic. (laughs) 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 Performance base. Yes. Um, And and there wasn't pleasure, you know, like there, there wasn't any. So that's how I approached my my sexuality, I didn't lose my virginity till you know, my first boy, you know, it was very like, I want to be in love again, Disney. And, uh, <laughs> but even then, like, and you know, all the times in San Francisco and like my, my expression of sexuality had nothing to do with healing or pleasure or, um, you know, something that was, that was good. Essentially, it was all just performance based. And, um, I got addicted to pornography. I got addicted to, um, seeking out moments where I could I felt um, self-worth in pleasing a man kind of thing Mm. Um, and it it was really I'm I'm just realizing like how harmful that was I remember um, I remember this moment like I don't know maybe this was only like eight years ago seven years ago where a friend of a friend was talking about sex and she explained this concept of like the yoni the vagina being a portal a sacred portal and I was like she, you know she was like every person that you let enter the portal leaves a piece of their energy and I was like oh my god it's <laughs> like oh no and the concept itself blew my mind nobody had ever talked to me about sacredness of sexuality definitely not um and then and then I I don't know it was like a again another seed that was planted and and Luckily, I've had really amazing partners who have been so supportive because I I would have nightmares about um, being, you know, chased and all these like terrible things. And for a long time, I would wake up screaming and I had these really supportive and sweet, just lovely, gentle, wonderful men in my life that always kind of got my back. But 
it wasn't until really, really recently, and I'm talking like the last six months or so, that I've been extremely candid with my husband about like this. This is what I know of sexuality, and I want to explore a different way of doing things. I, I want to explore slow and love and you know just different ways of like having pleasure and so it's it's an it's a voyage for me right now that's very very new um but I think I think about like one time you posted on Instagram this picture and like a little uh, like it was like a book for young girls about like here's your body all about your body and it showed like a picture of the vagina and it showed like everything except it pointed like here's your urethra a drawn diagram a drawn, yeah, sorry. A drawn diagram, and there was no clitoris. To the clitoris. Oh, God. And like, what if we taught our girls that sex is about pleasure as well as reproduction? You know. And I was like, oh my God. Actually, that your post was very like, whoa, to me, because I was like, mm. I was never taught that at all. Mm. Like, I'm just learning that as a 32 year old adult. Like, yeah. that this is even possible to have a different connection of sexuality. So like I'm sitting here right now and I've like created this altar for this conversation and there's like a portrait of like a beautiful yoni and you know, like mm-hmm. I'm learning what it means to be um, in relationship with sexuality. And that's, that's where I'm at right now with that. <laughs> oh, and it's such a big, scary, extremely vulnerable undertaking, right? To, to do yes. that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that book is put out by American Girl. It's the number one bestseller on Amazon for like adolescent girls getting to know their body. And there's this diagram. It doesn't fucking name the clitoris. I was livid. I I was fucking. Can I just livid. tell you that I used to, I used to sell that book as a manager of Bath and Body Works. <laughs> <laughs> I used to like pedal that book like this is good for your girls, you know. <laughs> so funny. But yeah, I mean like it's it's I think about like I have two nieces and I have one nephew, you know? It's like it, I it's it's it, it's since it makes me want to you know, talk to my sisters about like as a tia, like as an auntie, like I don't have any kids, so I have this like really interesting like aunt role you know that's like very different I think from the mother and it's like okay like I want to start a a dialogue about like about that like am I you know of course like if they come to me sexuality how do we talk about this and and get on the same page with my sisters but I just I think about them and I think about like I said 33 decades of my life you know like I'm just understanding this world or not even understanding I'm, I'm just opening myself to understanding mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and creating a relationship with this concept of sexuality sacred sexuality and purposeful pleasure yeah yeah and that idea um, like what if we told our kids the truth about that sex is about pleasure yeah. that really blew my mind when I first read it too it was just like like a Facebook link a couple years ago and I was like whoa, wow, what if we did do that? You know, so it's it's really <laughs> hard trying to navigate that with an 11-year-old. And I, I'm not sure how I just worded what I said earlier, but I'm, I hope she hasn't seen porn, but we have talked about it. You know, she knows what it is. And I've had to talk to her about just this um, unreal concept that that 
boys in our culture are given. And I, I think about, so it's interesting. You talk about like nineties porn. Um, I grew up seeing porn because my dad had a playboy subscription. And then also in the rafters of our garage were penthouses from the seventies and sixties playboys from the sixties. So once we got to like middle school, our parents, um, work like mom would leave for work at 5 PM and then dad didn't get home until six. So my sister and I would spend that hour in the garage with the ladder <laughs> getting down these magazines. So like, That's so classic. it's so funny now. Cause like, I look at my husband, Owen, you know, he's got the beard. He looks super seventies. And I'm like, did that time yeah. just like ingrain in me this love of like seventies <laughs> men? Like. Oh yeah, but so, I think it did, what, and it was very so natural, was... right? Like there's all these like natural hairy hippies. Yes. In those. Yes. Well, this is I was gonna mention this, and I was like, no, it's not. It doesn't fit, but now it totally does. That I I remember like I don't know, a few years ago, discovering '70s pornography and being like, oh my gosh, like these guys are like rocking these ladies and these ladies are having a good time and they're hairy. And I was like, Whoa, like what would have been like, I mean, obviously it would have been better if I had like an adult communication, but like, what if this was my introduction? You know, like there's like some pleasure happening here. Not all, you know, that's a blanket statement, but it totally blew my mind. Seventies porn was like the, one of the first times that I realized like, Oh, pleasure's possible. That's cool. Like everyone's having a good time in this video. <laughs> yeah, totally. So then I, I move into my teenage years in the 90s and my dad still has a subscription. He, I don't think he knew that we knew where he hit it, but we sure did, you know. And then we got a computer yeah. too in the late 90s and like internet porn. And so this seeing the way that sexuality is depicted and especially the idealized image of the woman's body, it changed so much from the 70s to the 90s. And by the 90s, it was just like the same body with a different face pasted on it over and over again yeah. and that is really what informed my sexuality on such a deep level and what it did for me was it I didn't like act out I never really had a lot of random sex with strangers a few drunken times I slept with someone I wouldn't have otherwise but it was like always someone I knew and maybe kind of felt safe with but um, I just kind of like froze around my sexuality when you even kind of freeze up like during sex and just kind of like lay there because <laughs> like, I didn't I didn't want to be doing it but I didn't know another way to do it I just knew that like this is I'm supposed to perform I'm supposed to yeah please yeah. and let him come <laughs> yeah it's not, it's not about me yeah exactly that's the end goal and like all over you and be so happy about it like <laughs> sorry to be so graphic but yeah, no, yeah it's true <laughs> You will definitely have to do the E explicit thing on this one. Oh, I always do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it. I guess what I can do now is offer a prayer to mothers and aunties out there to have, you know, these, these conversations um, in a good way. And like, to be honest, like if somebody wanted to talk to me about it, like a young woman, I would be honest, I wouldn't go as detailed as I would now, but I would say like, I am just learning this world you know, like, I don't have to be a pro just because of my age. I mean, I'm not like an elder at all. But but still like just a prayer to, to just consider how much that could affect um, a, a woman and her power, a young woman and her power and like, you know, <laughs> stepping mm -hmm. into who she is, um, instead of who she thinks she needs to be. And there's there's so many examples of that. But that's just a, a prayer out there that's related to my personal story. Well, you know, what is so fucked up about 
about our culture and gender dynamics. And obviously, this is really in the process of changing right now, just recently, like in the last six months, there's been this huge shift. But so the the way the mass media and the way the culture has presented this to us now for decades and decades is that it's the woman's job to please the man and always sexually cooking the right food, looking cute, you know, all the like read those fucking like good housekeeping magazines from the 50s and stuff. It's absurd. Oh, yeah. It's right. insane. And um, and if you're not happy about it, just take a little pill. You're going to be fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it it looks as if the women are the ones who have to try to like gain entrance into the man's uh, mm. approval or whatever. But really, like on a basic biological level, and looking back in history, yeah. it, it's the opposite. It's it like oh, yeah. men want to gain entrance to women, physic literally physically, you know. But that yeah. also <laughs> like that ex- that metaphor extends. Um, and when you like really when men are really like looking at their heart and like answering the question about what they want in a sexual exchange most men don't just want to come on your face most men are like i want to make her yeah. come like there's nothing more exciting to me than making yeah. a woman totally. have an orgasm and so some that that we have twisted that around and told women it's your job to perform and to get approval yeah. from this man when it's so the fucking opposite like that how to make my daughter yeah. see that Even without like- without giving her some like ego trip that like you're the boss you're the queen but you are you yeah. know it's like <laughs> <laughs> something i think about a lot is and how to present that to her well it's you know what's funny it's like as you were saying this sometimes i get really overwhelmed by humans like i'm such a social person and people always like oh you're such a social butterfly but in this like new chapter of my life i'm finding myself like more and more interested in hanging out with like plants and dirt and plant people than like people in general so sometimes I like totally retreat to David anything David Attenborough did like planet earth Mm -hmm. kind of stuff and and I swear it's like an education for me like sometimes I will watch you know like one of my favorites that he does is called uh life in the life in the undergrowth and it's like all about insects mm-hmm. and he has like life in cold blood and it's all like reptiles and amphibians but I'll watch these things and and they're like they're like commentary on social structure and you know you look at animals and that's it's it's just like film after film of, or show after show that he does of these you know you'll see like these birds that are creating these like beautiful nests because they're like come to me we're doing everything we can and you get to choose and it's like it's totally easy to like personify these these animals and be like that woman. The female's like, I don't like your house. It's mm-hmm. not clean enough or whatever. Your, your plumage, <laughs> but, your plumage isn't colorful enough yeah. for me. <laughs> I don't know about that dance. That dance is not that cool. But it's true. Like sometimes I'll watch it and it's like this this amazing like, oh, like it makes more sense to me sometimes when I see an animal doing it instead of a hu- you know because sometimes like humans are so complicated. We're so multi layered and so complex. And we, I mean, not to say that animals aren't either, but Sometimes it, it, for me, just there's this part of my brain that it clicks and it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That, mm-hmm. that totally makes sense. She's the one that is going to carry the child and bring mm-hmm. forth the offspring and carry on the, you know, like the genetic nap of mm-hmm. this male. Of course he wants to like, I love what you said, gain entrance. Of course he wants to do that or mm-hmm. they. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. It also makes me think of this diagram I saw in um, some some Chinese medicine book one time, like years and years ago of like a, a male and female body and it was showing the way that energy moves through them and for the male it was like showing energy coming down through the head 
down through the body and out the penis. And for the female, it shows the energy coming up from the earth into the vagina and like into the heart center. And it explained like, this is why everyone's attracted to women. This is why women are attracted to women. (laughs) Not not just sexually, but just to be around. Why men are attracted to women and why children are attracted to women. It's like, because we are, we have this inward pulling, uh, like sense of strength and groundedness. And like, we're, yeah, bringing that into ourselves. Yeah, that's a great visual. I even had this really, like, I went to this event to offer, it was um, after the fires here in mm-hmm. Mendocino County, and there was this offering, um, like, a, a free clinic for anybody who was affected by the fire. And I went to bring a bunch of, med- you know, herbal medicine tinctures and respiratory remedies. And we went there, and this woman, who I had never met before, was like, hi, would you like to sit down? And I was like, yes. I was like, I'm here to be the healer, right? But she <laughs> totally was like, you you need to sit down and she sat me down and she we had this talk and one of the things that she was you know she asked she she put me into this sort of meditate or she guided me into this meditative space and she asked me like do I have any do I see any darkness or blockages and it was totally my womb space was a black cave like I could see nothing it was just darkness and she led me through this guided meditation of like lighting a fire in my womb space every day and like or she had me do that and then kind of was like you know you have this magic match that never goes out and and we did this visualization and I fully felt that I felt this like pull coming from deep in the earth coming up to like it was like the wind coming up the oxygen being provided to start this fire and it's been a practice ever since that that woman was amazing she just like knew but that's that it's it's lovely to hear what you just said about that diagram because I really felt that it was like like, you know, we talk about, um, in yo- I used to be a yoga teacher, and you'll talk about the bandhas, and there's like the mula bandha, which is kind of this this hole down in the lower chakras, and I'm like, people are always like striving to have like, hold that mula bandha, and I have like the opposite, like I feel a lot of times like I'm like, I hear like, let that go, mm-hmm. open yourself up, allow that breathing to happen from mm-hmm. the outside in, and it, you know, looking back at like my path and sexuality in that entryway, of course, I'm like, nope, doors are shut, doors mm-hmm. are shut, you know, <laughs> but it's been a, it's been a sweet practice to try to reopen in a safe way, you know, when I feel comfortable and when I feel safe. Um, and that's, that's, a, I'm going to remember that visual. Thank you, Amber. Yeah, I think it's a Taoist medicine concept. Um, so this, mm-hmm. this ties in to what's going to be my last question, which is I want to hear more about this thing that you've alluded to, um, feeling this big transition that's recently happened to you where you are moving from like the maiden time in your life to the mother time in your life. Even, even as you are not physically birthing children, you're stepping into this archetype. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for bringing this up because um, this was the thing that I didn't know how to explain when you first asked me to be on this show. It was just like something is happening <laughs> and I'm not quite ready and and I needed this time and I'm and I'm essentially you just put it very succinctly and wonderfully. It's um, I I don't really have I didn't grow up with archetypes. I didn't grow up with these stories. And when I came, I live now on um in Mendocino County with a woman. We've been living here for three and a half years, and she's an incredible elder who has taught over 400 people herbalism, but she doesn't just teach herbalism. I was a part of her last nine-month course, and in this course, we talked about um, the triple goddess, and it was the first time I'd ever heard of maiden mother crone concept, Um, and she actually calls it maiden middle woman crone, which I really appreciate because not everyone's a mother, Um, but then mother is also a beautiful term, and anyway... 
Um, and it, it was really like mind blowing to me at the time. And I, this was two and a half years ago, three years ago, maybe. And I was like, oh, I'm definitely shifting from maiden to mother. I can feel that I'm in that place. You know, it was just like, oh, it's happening. It's happening. Um, and, and I think what was really happening was that there was just, there was some general shifting of awareness and a desire and longing to be in that, in a transitional phase. Like, like I said, I'm a Pisces, so I'm always trying to like switch waters and jump into a different stream. So I, I was kind of like trying to force this archetype to, to birth itself upon me. And I... I I don't know. I let it go. I think I just kind of was like, oh, I died. Like I lost interest or something. And then very recently, um, after the last Spirit Weavers gathering that I, I attended, something something happened to me <laughs> in the river. I jumped into this this river, and I remember this this moment of like <gasps> like taking a breath that felt different. And I and I remember I walked out of that river and I ran into somebody. And she's like, "How are you doing?" And I was like. Um, I just woke up from a 20 year nap mm. and, and I really felt that like this, like, whoa, like I'm, I woke up from something. Um, and I was really riding high and I was all excited about it and feeling really good. And I didn't know what it meant, but very quickly, um, I fell back into this sort of depressed state of realizing I had been asleep for so long. <laughs> and this is multifaceted to everything that you and I have talked about in this in this conversation, my sexuality, my, my relationship with my sexuality, my relationship with plants, my re- relationship with elders, my relationship with my culture. It was like all these things um, were like, hey, remember us? And, and, and I was very excited at first, but then I really got sad. I really fell into this grieving. And I was in a deep, deep grieving space from about uh, June of last year to, I would say, November of last year. It was very, very deep. Um, and I didn't know what, what was happening. And I didn't know, I just didn't know how to explain it. And so all I could explain it was like, I'm depressed, you know, and I was on the couch and I was crying a lot and I was eating a lot. And I was just like feeling all these things that I thought would be comforting. But I did, again, like not having these tools, I was cutting off relationships or just avoiding people in general. Cause I just didn't know um, what to do. And I, I realized after, after, Pretty soon after you asked me if I wanted to be on the interview, I think that was or on the show, I think that was like in November. Mm-hmm. Really soon after that, I I remembered this this story, this archetype um, of a shifting, and I think I had created this story that like I can't move into this maiden archetype until I'm a mother, like an actual mother. Um, but Russ and I have talked at length about children, and we're sort of we keep going, we're, we're mostly leaning towards consciously choosing to not have children. And that in and of itself is just generally um, has been like a source of, of grief, not necessarily like, oh, I really want it, but just the sadness of the potentiality. And, you know, it's just like a existential grief, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think I denied myself this concept of, of motherhood, because I was not carrying a child, or I wasn't close to it, or I wasn't moving towards this like really physical act of carrying a child. And then in April, my sister had my niece, and now all of my sisters are mothers. And it was so beautiful to me that, like, oh, all my sisters are mothers. And then it was also this sadness of, like, I'm the only one who's not a mother, and I may never be consciously, you know, with choice. And it, it was just, again, this existential kind of sadness. Um, and then, and then I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what 
what I don't have like this turning point aha moment or anything, but it just kind of hit me one day. I think I was in the garden and it was like, you're transitioning. Like you, you were Persephone in the darkness and you were coming out into a different space. And it was this like, oh, you know, and then it became this, this question of like, uh, am I invited into this archetype of motherhood, even though my, I wrote this poem and one of the lines was like with a joyfully empty womb, because it's a conscious, joyful choice. I'm okay. I'm, I'm happy with it. Um, am I invited? And I, and I kept asking that question like out loud to, you know, to the trees, to the garden, to everybody. And I just kept getting this like resounding, like, of course you are. Yes, this is who you are. This is an aspect. And then because I am the youngest or whatever, my personality, I'd be like, are you sure? Like, I want to hear you really say like, I really want you to be here, you know, (laughs) this energy. And then, and then it just got, I got this energy of like, um, the door is open. Come if you want to. I'm not going to like pull you into it. So it was like this. You can choose to take the step over the threshold and move into this new archetype energy. Or you can you can stay maiden forever. You do you. You know, but like I got I got other things to do is what the goddess is telling me. <laughs> and and so. I've been I've been doing a lot of exercises, really funny, interesting exercises and and one of that some of them is just staring at myself in the mirror and just like looking trying you know really like asking and looking um usually I'll smoke some cannabis and just stare and and just see who wants to sh- present themselves to to me and that's been a really interesting experience but a big thing that I've been doing and feeling is um calling back the child that I you know all these memories that I've lost um calling it all back in uh, as like sort of like an elder calling her in to tell her I love her and she's good and I I've got her I'm holding her and I keep I keep getting this visual of like me this person that I'm looking at myself in the mirror literally you know actually hugging and holding this little me um, and just rocking her and like telling her she's okay and it's it's all good and and then it was like it's it's been this inspiring like oh like we are all mothers. We are always mothers. We, you know, it's, it is, it's, it's always this path that's unfolding and we can choose these directions we want to go in. And, but it's, it's like, it's there. It's, it, do you, I think you kind of probably know where I'm getting at, but it just, it just, it's been this like inexplicable, um, really welcoming, but not coddling path of just like, come if you want to. And part of that has been this candid candidness really being able to speak openly and clearly about like I'm really you know like I have these conversations and I'll just be like this is some shit that I'm working on with me personally and I can call myself out on things like I used to never be able to do and (laughs) I'm not saying I'm perfect at it definitely not but I can I can see things in a more objective view and that's been like this like ah yes like there is this this new energy, a new wisdom that's coming forth in myself and being excited about it, being a little bit scared about it, um, but being, but mostly being excited about what that even looks like and realizing that motherhood is just a word, right? Mother is, is a word. It's, it's very charged and it carries a lot of beautiful energy. Words are very powerful, but I've been really, um, 
excited about like the concept of being a tia, being an auntie, and what that looks like and how that relates to this this archetype of motherhood, of showing up for these other children and people in my life. Mm-hmm. And modeling for them all these things you've learned in this journey that you've been on. <laughs> um, yeah, Mycelia, age 11, played Persephone in the school play last ah. week. And it was so emotional for me. I bet. (laughs) Just these huge (laughs) concepts of, yeah, mother, daughter, the underworld, the flowers, like the earth. And yes, and and like the great joy, like she's back, she's back. And I've been feeling that. I've been really feeling that like when I have these, a, a dream or like a vision or like a memory, when I have a memory of like, you know, something that happened when I was five that I have never, I, I couldn't draw up. It's like, oh, she's back. It's like mm-hmm. seeing the first daffodil of spring. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, and that's why it feels so, so different. It's like, it's not like, oh yeah, this is me. I'm back. It's like, she's back. And it's really exciting and fun to see it as a, it's like almost like a different person, a different part of me. Mm. That's so beautiful, Vicky. Thank you for sharing all of this with us. I love how yeah. it all... It's all like, you know, chaotic and messy, but then it all does tie in to like the greater mythology of your <laughs> life. And that's all of us. So thanks for your honesty and um, tell people where to find you and like what what's coming up for you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amber. This has been really, really sweet to speak to you. I've always felt so comfortable with you. And I just want to really quickly share that you are one of the first people that taught me concepts of self-care. Because I don't know if you remember this, but when you came to visit me for the mm-hmm. first time, but I think that was the only time you've come here, mm-hmm. you had like this crazy long drive and you were gifting me this oil and you're like, I'm going to use this oil real quick. <laughs> <laughs> and you like, <laughs> and you like rubbed it all over your shoulders and you were like breathing really deeply. And I was like, whoa, you can do that. You can tend to yourself like that. Uh-huh. So that was a long time ago. And you really like were one of the first people to like help me remember that I'm, I can take care of myself. So thank you for that. Oh, I've good. always loved you yeah yeah I remember I was <laughs> but, in a lot uh, of pain and I was like and can I take a bath now <laughs> thank you yeah and I was like yeah girl get it <laughs> that's like the first thing I, I'm like would you like to take a bath when people come over because <laughs> like we love our we have like spring water in a bath and we're feel we are so grateful mm-hmm. um okay so right now people can find me at grandmothers-medicine.com uh like I was mentioning that'll eventually redirect to latierabuenacollective.com and I'm on social media, on Instagram. I'm not really active on Facebook, but I'm I'm on Instagram on both of those handles. So um, grandmothers underscore medicine will eventually be turning into a personal account. That's, you know, still fun. And then also there's La Tierra Buena Collective. Um, and they're both active and they're both blossoming. And, you know, I'm, I'm teaching classes. There's a class coming up in San Francisco in the summer. I'm teaching at the Spirit Weavers Gathering. I'm so excited to be teaching at the Good Medicine Confluence. is my first herb conference. I'm so excited. Yay. I'm <laughs> so, so, so excited. Are, um, uh, I can't wait. It's my first time in Colorado. I just can't wait. But um, all of those things are at my website, grandmothers-medicine.com. And, and everything will be hopefully smoothly transitioning to the new website. But um, I'm not like the super best at getting back to people. I'll just say that. Like I, I write people back in my brain a lot, but forget to actually send emails back. So if I don't write you back, it's not personal. I love everybody and I love your stories. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I just, things are happening. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I also love teaching. So if you have a place that you want to like hang out and teach and specifically, I'm really moving towards like cultivating herbs and growing herbs. I'm really obsessed with like soil is totally my church. So if you want to talk about growing herbs, let's do that. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I will see you in, in May in Colorado. And I hope to get to take some of your classes too. I just, when I go to these things, I just end up taking classes from, the same people over and over because I'm like this person has something to teach me <laughs> so I could see that happening this year at the confluence yeah I'm looking forward to seeing how it all unfolds it's gonna be so cool Russ and Owen get to hang out yay yeah <laughs> yeah I'm so excited that Russ is gonna be there too um okay yeah, Vicky I, would... I love you thank you so much so much Amber thank you Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find my blog, Handmade Herbal Medicines, and a lot more at mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, be sure to click the black banner across the top of the page to take my quiz, Which Magical Herb is Your Spirit Plant? It's a fun and lighthearted quiz, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with the medicine that you're in need of. If you love the show, please consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash medicine stories. Um, there's some cool rewards there, like exclusive content, free access to my herbal ebook and online course, and the ability to chat with me. I am a crazy busy and overwhelmed mom and adding another project into my life with this podcast is a questionable move, but I'm also so excited about it and just praying that the Patreon will allow me the financial wiggle room to keep doing it. Another way that you can support if that's not an option is to head over to iTunes and subscribe and review the podcast. That would be super helpful. Thank you. And thank you to Marie Sue for providing the music that I use. That's Marie with two E's, S-I-O-U-X. This is from her song, Wild Eyes, one of my favorites. Uh, Check out Marie Sue. Beautiful music. Thank you, and I look forward to next time. Bye.